This morning we're going to be continuing in our series. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit throughout uh, this summer. And so this morning we're going to continue that. And you might be thinking, oh, the next fruit is cuteness. No, it is not cuteness. It's gentleness. This morning we're going to talk about gentleness. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 is where we're going to spend a lot of time this morning, Isaiah 30 and 40, but we're going to start in Isaiah 30. So gentleness. We hear that word, and sometimes I think we get the wrong connotation for that word. We think about weakness or softness, you know, delicate. And while those things are all true, those things are all part of what it means to be gentle, Scripture actually uses a different word for what gentleness means. Older translations of the Bible, if you have a King James Version, you'll see the word meekness. Meekness is something we're going to talk about later. Meekness looks like strength restrained. You see, these words that we usually use for gentleness are not words that some people tend to think of as positive, especially guys, right? No guy calls another guy delicate, right? That just doesn't work. But gentleness, if we actually look at it correctly, if we actually look at it the way the Bible uses the word gentleness, that changes the very definition of how we think about it. So as you guys can see, God gave Sarah and I, uh, actually a month ago today, this little tangible reminder. Don't clap too loud, he's sleeping. Nope, nope, he's up. Hi, bud. God gave us this tangible reminder of what it means to have to be gentle. Because if I'm not careful with the way I hold Benjamin, I could hurt him, right? If I squeeze him with all my might, I could squish him. If when I pick him up when he's crying and I don't support his head and neck, he could hurt himself. When I touch him, when I interact with him, I have to be gentle. But gentleness is not weakness. It's not a lack of strength. I mean, look at this kid. I'm going to be jacked by the time this kid can walk. He's huge. It's not a weakness thing. Gentleness is strength under control. And so if we look at gentleness in the correct way, if we look at gentleness the way that the Bible uses it, as meekness, it takes on this new role in our lives and becomes absolutely necessary for Christians. It becomes absolutely necessary for the way that we are called to be lights in the world. And so this morning, I want us to see that gentleness doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean cowardice. It doesn't mean soft and delicate. Yes, those are elements of what it, of what it looks like to interact with someone gently. But gentleness is so much more than that. Gentleness is intentionally caring for someone. Gentleness is a meekness, is a restrained strength. You want to go by mom? What do you think? You want to hang out with me? What do you want to do? All right, let's go this way. All right. Let's go, buddy. Thank you for being my illustration. All right, so I'm going to pray. Before we pray, um, I always like to thank somebody before we get going, and I'd like to thank our audiovisual team, uh, Wayne and Wade and Liz and Ann, um, all the people who help out with our AV team. They make it so that we have words on the screen, so that the band sounds good, so that you can hear me, so that we record things. Um, thank you guys. Thank you for the amount of time and energy. They come early. They set up. They are on top of all of those things. Um, it's a ministry that we're always looking for more people to add to, so if you'd like to get involved with that, we will train you. We'll get you plugged in and connected. Uh, on your Connect cards, there is uh, a place on the back where it says AV team. Go ahead and circle that. Drop that in the uh, offering plate when we take an offering and we'll get you plugged in. So thank you to the AV team. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we are going to jump, jump in to talk about gentleness. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we thank you for another day. God, we thank you for another opportunity to worship you. 
Lord, we pray that as we come to you this morning, we, God, we want to hear from you. We pray this morning that you renew our spirits and draw our hearts to you. God, so that as we work, as we live, as we interact with this world, we might point other people to you. That we find our joy and our delight in your command to love you and love others. Lord, give us the ability this morning to hear the message that you have for us. Give us the ability to accurately look at ourselves and where we can grow in gentleness. God, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So gentleness. It is intentional caring. It's showing kindness and compassion to someone. Showing care for another person, that you care about their well-being. So in Isaiah 30, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, if you haven't read much of it, much of the book of Isaiah is warning and judgment for Israel. They have rebelled against God over and over and over again. They have made false gods for themselves. They have married with pagan worshipers. They have ran to pagan countries. When they were being attacked, they have ran and made treaties with pagan false uh, countries that worship false gods. And God told them, don't do that. They did it anyway because they were scared and wanted protection. Over and over, they just make a lot of poor decisions. And so finally, they have just been generally rebellious against God and Isaiah steps in. Isaiah is a prophet sent by God, and he tells them, look, Israel, judgment is coming. You will have consequences for your actions. You will have to answer for the things you have done. Israel, this doesn't end well for you if you continue down the road you are on, if you continue to do these things. Because the message of Isaiah says that even in the midst of laying down the judgment awaiting Israel, there is this message of hope that is sprinkled in there. And so we pick it up in chapter 30 of Isaiah, verse 18. It says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion and in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, let your teacher, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. Most of Isaiah 30 is just Isaiah laying down, this is the judgment that awaits you, Israel. This is what's coming for you. And then he makes this turn in verse 18. There is this kindness, this compassion in the way that God deals with his people. Even in the midst of their rebellion, God promises to be gentle with them. He promises to welcome them back to himself. Now, if you skip over, I want you to turn a couple of pages and go to Isaiah chapter 40. So you're going to flip a couple of pages to chapter 40. And this message of hope continues in chapter 40 because there is a promise here of reconciliation. There is a promise of forgiveness God showing that he cares for these people, that even though they have rebelled against him, even though they have chosen anyone and anything else other than God, he still cares for them and loves them. And so we go to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. 
It says, get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arms rule with him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I want you to keep your finger in Isaiah 40. We're going to do a little bit of jumping, but we're going to come back to Isaiah 40 in a little bit. Isaiah says, your Lord is coming. God is coming. There's a promise that things are going to be different. There's a message of hope here. He's coming with might. He's coming to rule. He's coming to guide. He makes mention here of God being a shepherd. He said he is coming to guide and lead you. The shepherd is coming. Now, the role of shepherd is scattered throughout the Bible, and it's a complex one. To be a shepherd, you had a lot of different attributes. You needed to be the right kind of temperament. You needed to be the right kind of person to do this. For one, you had to be patient, right? You had to be patient because it's a lot of traveling. You would go from your home base pasture to take the, take the sheep somewhere else so that they could eat. And so you had to be patient with them as you traveled. You had to be patient with them as you sat and they ate. You had to be patient with them because sheep are not smart. You have to be patient when they wander away and not scold them. Sheep are so not smart that when they would go to a pasture, they would eat and eat and eat. Even once they had consumed all of the grass and it's just dirt, they would just keep eating. And so the shepherd had to keep an eye on them, and when they got to that point, move them along. He had to be patient with the sheep. He had to be strong. He had to be courageous. Right? When we think back to David, when David, before he is King David, when he's just the shepherd boy, and he goes to King Saul because that giant Goliath is mocking the people of Israel. And David wants to go fight Goliath. He wants to go fight this giant. What's on his resume? He tells the king, look, I'm a shepherd. I fought bears. I fought lions. I killed off wolves. This is just some guy. I can do this. And David didn't have a sniper rifle. He didn't have a hunting knife. He had a stick and he had a sling. And that's about it in his bare hands. You had to be strong and courageous to be a shepherd. And to be a shepherd, you had to be okay being off on your own. You had to live amongst the elements, among the wild, watching over and protecting your flock. You had to do all of these things at once. You had to be able to be gentle and strong, compassionate and tough. All of these things at once to be a shepherd. Now Isaiah here in chapter 40 says the shepherd is going to come and he will carry the sheep with his mighty arms. He will carry them with his strong arms. He will protect them, but he will also carry them. And he says, he will carry them in his bosom. He will carry them close. He will hold them close. Why? So that they are comforted. Close to him, so that when the sheep and the lambs are scared and hurt, tired, beat up, confused, overwhelmed, this powerful shepherd carries them close to him, lets them know that he is for them, that he will protect them, that, he, that they are safe in his arms. And that's what God is for us. He is that shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And so when life is hard, when life is overwhelming, when life beats you up, he is the shepherd who will hold you close to himself and comfort you and remind you that he is for you and will protect you and that you are safe in his arms. God is all-powerful, 
and mighty. He has all authority over all existence. And yet at the same time, his power and might is not negated and is not minimized by the fact that he is also gentle. Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms in the Bible, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads. He guides. He feeds. He provides nourishment. He restores the soul. He protects because he cares for the sheep. Because he has compassion for the sheep. We are the sheep of his flock. And I think this is why Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Because he is willing to fight off wolves but also be gentle with us lambs. See, Jesus didn't see gentleness as a bad thing. In Matthew 11, verse 29 to 30, he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke could be used for a lot of things at that time. A yoke would be put on oxen to keep oxen connected so that they would go in the same way when you were plowing a field. But a yoke could also be used for humans. It would be um, basically a long stick with strings with buckets on the end. You could carry water, you could carry um, food, whatever, and it would go on your shoulders, right? And you'd carry this around from town to town. It was easier to carry large amounts of whatever you had to carry uh, with a yoke. And so you would be under this yoke. This yoke would be on your shoulders. And so then the faith community over time took this idea of a yoke and included it in the way in some of their language. And so this idea of the yoke of the law, the yoke of the Pharisees, the yoke of a certain rabbi, it's your obligation, the rules, the laws, the training that you were under. And so Jesus here says, take on my yoke. My yoke is easy and light because I am gentle. That word gets translated meekness. And I am lowly in heart, humble in heart. Gentleness is not a bad thing. It isn't about being too soft or delicate. It isn't about being too scared to get involved, too scared to stand up for yourself. Think about this. Jesus calls himself gentle. Jesus also went into the temple and flipped tables and cracked whips. He constantly went to battle with the Pharisees. Yes, he was gentle, but that did not make him weak. Jesus was not a wimp. He was strong enough to know and to show compassion and kindness and gentleness when it was needed. Because Jesus cares. He cares for you. That's why his yoke is easy and light, because he cares. Because his yoke is ultimately just trust in me. Trust in me. Trust in my power and authority to save you and forgive you and give you a new life, a better life as a child of God. It's not what you can do or how impressive you can be. It's the constant work, the consistent work of what Christ has already done. His yoke is not about you trying to fulfill the law, trying to constantly work, trying to constantly impress God. It's resting and trusting in God's goodness, in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Gentleness is not being a coward. It's not being weak. It's about intentional care for another person. So we've used this word meekness a couple of times. Let's talk about what meekness looks like. Because the Greeks would use, when they had a word, they would oftentimes put some kind of descriptor on the word. And so meekness has this idea, it was this idea of taking a wild animal, taking a wild horse, and taming it. 
making it respond to your command, your strength. So it was the strength and the power and the speed of a wild horse under control. That's what meekness is. It is strength that is under control. It is intentional restraint. So in Isaiah 40, we talked about the shepherd, right? God, Jesus comes as the shepherd, and he is powerful, but he is also gentle, and he carries the lamb in his bosom. And this compar- he has this compassion and kindness, and he shows care for the people. And it's this beautiful image of gentleness. But as I said, gentleness is meekness. It's strength under control. Because Isaiah 40 also gives us a little bit of a taste of what the reality of our situation with God is, in that he has all power. So go to Isaiah 40, go to, skip down to verse 12. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. So through a series of rhetorical questions, the prophet Isaiah says, Who are you in relation to who God is? Who are you? Let's remind you of God's power. Let's remind you that he has the power, that he created the water, that he created all things, that he is great enough to measure the mountains in scales because they are tiny in comparison to your God. There is no human who can give the Lord counsel. At no point in history has God ever said, hey, you know what, I'm really stumped on this situation. What do you think I should do? He's not going to his creation looking for their advice. He's not looking to try and learn something. We have never taught God anything because he is already all-knowing. In comparison to him, the mighty nations, when he talks about Lebanon, that is like the, the center of all t- technology, advancement. He says, like that, in comparison to God, these mighty nations, the technology, the rule, the power that we think that we hold is nothing in comparison to him. It is emptiness in comparison to the power and greatness and authority of the God that you serve. He continues, skip down to verse 21. He says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understand from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He is above all things. He is the one who controls all things. He is in control. He, some of us learn this, right, from a young age. This shouldn't be news to some of you because you learn this at a young age, right? In Sunday school, you learn that he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. You see, meekness, this idea of gentleness says, I am more powerful in this situation. I have the ability to do whatever I want in this situation, but I choose to restrain that power for your benefit. Meekness, being gentle, it doesn't mean you are a pushover. It doesn't mean that you let yourself be taken advantage of. It's that you choose to realize that God is in control of all things, so you don't have to be the one to win all the time. You don't have to be the one to try and compete all the time because you know God is in control of all things. You know that there is a power that you have available to you that you don't need to tap into in that moment. Because Christians, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit available to you. It's by that same Holy Spirit with that same power that all of these great signs and miracles that we ooh and ah over in the Bible, these things happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. That power hasn't gone anywhere. It is still available to us today. Christians, you have great power. You know truth. You know absolute, ultimate truth. You understand the truth that God is good and for you. And you understand the gospel. You have unlimited access to the God who holds all things in his hands. And so this is why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives to cultivate in us gentleness. Because if not, we have the tendency to become fierce and unkind and rough and harsh. So as conflict arises amongst each other, not if, but when. We need to be gentle with the way that we approach one another. When admonishment or correction is needed, do so in such a way that you show care and concern for that person, that you have compassion for them, because they're your brothers and sisters. Because if two Christians or three Christians can't relate to one another with gentleness, what kind of testimony is that to the rest of the world? Paul instructs Timothy uh, in his second letter, in 2 Timothy, in how to carry himself both in and out of church. In 2 Timothy 2.23, Paul writes, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. If we're updating the Bible for today, I think he would say, Have nothing to do with social media arguments. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. No one is going to be bullied or argued into becoming a Christian. You can have all of the knowledge in the world. You can be able to answer every, every claim, every issue they have with Christianity. You might be able to answer every one of them and back every one of them up with Scripture. You might have it memorized backwards and forwards, and those are all good things, but it will do you no good if you don't have gentleness. If you are harsh with them, it will do you no good. I said at the beginning this morning that 
Benjamin represents for, for Sarah and I this chance to practice gentleness, to grow in it. But in reality, it's pretty easy to be gentle with him. Right? He's small. He's cute. He makes me laugh. He's innocent. So to remember to be gentle with him is pretty easy. See, the thing that sticks out to me is that while Benjamin is cute and nice and innocent, you and I are not. We are sinners. We choose to sin regularly. We choose the works of the flesh. We choose our own self-righteousness. We choose things that aren't good over and over and over again. The Bible says that our best deeds, the selfless, the acts of sacrifice, the good stuff that we could hold up, the Bible says are like filthy rags in comparison to the holiness and beauty of God. And yet, God shows us gentleness. He shows compassion for us, care for us, and he did that by sending Jesus. You see, he has this desire for us to live the best life that we can possibly live, and so he gave his word, he gave us scripture, and he gave us his son. And Jesus put his meekness, his strength restrained on display when he allowed himself to be arrested, to be beaten, and to be crucified. That was power restrained. He restrained himself for you and for me. He showed us that you can lay aside your power and your rights for the benefit of others. He displayed for us what it means to be meek, what it means to be gentle for the benefit of another person. Because gentleness is not weakness. It is not a negative attribute that we should run from, but rather it is a great and important fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit is cultivating in us so that we can be made a light to other people. Because your ability to be gentle with another person, with those who don't know Christ, and with those who do, is a great testimony and declaration of your faith in a God who, though he is mighty and all-powerful, will also hold you in his bosom and protect you with great care and concern for you. He calls us, though we have power through the Holy Spirit, to be a people who are gentle. So let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for showing us gentleness. We thank you for showing us what it looks like to have care and concern for another person. Have compassion for another person. Lord, help us to grow in that. Help me to grow in that. Help me to not get caught up in wanting to win every argument. Help me to watch the way that I speak, the way I interact with people. Lord, you showed great gentleness. You show great gentleness with me. Even when I rebel, even when I sin against you, you show great gentleness to forgive me and welcome me back in. Lord, help me to do the same with others. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for his meekness, for his willingness to allow himself to give up his life. Not that anyone took it from him, but that he gave it up to show us this is what it looks like to be gentle and meek. This is what it looks like to restrain yourself for the benefit of others. God, we thank you. We thank you for the cross, for his death on the cross, and for the empty tomb that was there three days later to show his power and authority. God, help us to be a people who are known as gentle. 
We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.